been reading a lot of uh, Alpha Flight, too, to get kind of in the mood for running a Savage Alpha Flight game. Are you reading, like, old Alpha Flight or that? Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, man, I hope he's not reading that Gamma book that was so bad. <laughs> no. Yeah, going back to the original Alpha Flight runs. Yeah, the original by John Byrne was so good. And I, the more I, you know, I was reading the, I think the first twelve or so earlier this year, and am convinced that uh, Marina is a deep one. <laughs> This is Wayne. Hey, Paul. I just yes. I, I, I want to be on record that um, fear is the mind killer. Fear is uh-huh. the little death. Just wanted to be on record about that. Okay. Okay. We've got it. We've got it recorded. <laughs> I'm sure we'll reference that later. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, Dune came out this week it on did. Uh, HBO Max and in theaters. Uh, the much-awaited, much-delayed Dune premiere. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul? Yes, sir. What'd you think? So, before we get into the movie proper, uh-huh. and my thoughts on the movie proper. The proper movie. So, uh, the, <laughs> one of the things I, you know, from an overall standpoint, one of the things I will say about Dune is it is surprising to me that that movie was written, directed, edited, shown to, you know, executives at Warner Brothers and got all the way to release, you know, even a delayed release. And at no point did anyone say, huh, (laughs) this is a good idea. You know, this is this may not be a good idea to only release half a movie Uh Um, and not have the other and, and not have the other half already in the hopper so that you can release it next year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, I, I will tell you that is my, that is a I feel confident, uh, and we're, we'll, we're don't worry, folks, we're going to talk about it. But I feel yeah. confident. Do you remember? You you might not recall this, but do you remember that old Fellowship of the Rings Ralph Bakshi uh, yeah uh, cartoon? And it was it was like you know set. It's the first part of the story. It's setting up. We're going to war. This is the Lord of the Rings. We're going to Mordor. The whole thing, and then nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then uh, you know, then, then it, you know, the, then they had the uh, the Return of the King animated thing that uh-huh. kind of was a sequel, but not really yeah. <laughs> in the in the yeah. in the style of the original Hobbit. Yeah. So what what they do in the in the new Dune movie is they essentially tell about the first half of the Dune novel, which on 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 the one side I was excited about because it gives a lot more room for the story to breathe. Um, but I mean, it ha- very much has that Fellowship of the Rings ending, where okay, we're trudging on, adventure is about to ensue. You know that that, uh, and that I say not only is the second part of the movie not underway under production, it's right. not even greenlit. Right, right. They're waiting to see how this one does. They were going to wait to see how the first uh-huh. the first movie did. Um, 
Go ahead, Wayne. Go ahead, Aaron. I'm sorry. I'm, I, 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 okay. Let me jump into the review. <laughs> no, no. Before, okay. no. Well, before we jump to the review, then uh-huh. I feel confident, and I'm going to say this, and I will. I mean, I will eat my words. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know what bet to put on the podcast. <laughs> we will never see the second half of this. I movie. agree. I, 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 <laughs> I, I think that I think that this second movie won't ever get made. Yeah. I truly believe that. Um. And here's why. <laughs> Number one, let me say that this is a gorgeous movie. You cannot oh, fault the art direction and the, the I mean, just everything about this movie is gorgeous. Well, uh, and, you know, so the, the director of the movie, Dennis Villanueva, right. you know, for those who are not in the know, he also did Blade Runner 2049. He also directed, not wrote, Sicario. Right. Um, he's he's known for these slow burn, beautifully directed movies. Yeah, it is a gorgeous film. Um, I think that every actor in the movie is pulling their weight. I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed the uh, actor's performance as Paul. Um, yeah, I I was I the only the only actor that I objected to initially in the film, but I warmed up to as as the as the movie wore on was the actor who played Jessica uh, because she just wasn't what she wasn't at all the character that I see in my mind when I when I read the book and keep Is in Jessica mind his mother yes. Okay. Yeah, Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, and I apologize. Other than Javier Bardem, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, and I feel like there's another actor that I know in this movie. Oh, uh, Jason, Jason Momoa. Momoa. I don't know any of the other actors. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Timothy Chalamet plays yes. Paul, and does a, it does a like to your point, he does a very good job. I, you know, he is popular with the kids. <laughs> um, just just like Zendaya is popular with the kids, even though she basically has just a glorified cameo right. in this movie. Um, but Timothy Chalamet does he does a good job as Paul. He I, does. I'll give and, him that. I, know, I, I was not fam- I was familiar with him tangentially, uh-huh. but I had not seen anything with him until this. And movie. that's that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the film is that the character of of Paul and again of Chani are both cast age appropriate. Um, versus in the uh, David Lynch film, which let me go on record, I love that movie. Um, I love both the theatrical release and I adore the extended version. Um, So I'm a big fan of those movies. And every time as people talk about this new movie and they say, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, hopefully this will be a whole lot better than that wretched David Lynch film. I take personal offense (laughs) because I love that movie so much. Um, Anyway, but but these characters are cast age appropriate. I feel I feel like in the in the Lynch film they were not. Um, here's where I feel like the movie misses, despite the fact that we get more time in the story, uh, two hours and forty five minutes to tell the first half of the novel. Um, they provide you almost no cultural background. And there are cultural elements in that book. There is backstory in that book that is critical to understanding what's motivating the characters, why things are happening the way they're happening. For instance, the Dune universe doesn't have computers. There are no what they would call thinking machines because it is a tenet of their religion that thou shalt not create a machine like a person's mind, right? And so that that 
uh, fuels that motivates the whole thing around the spice because the spice allows a human to navigate space, to travel faster than light, to warp space. None of that's discussed in the movie. All you know is that, wow, you know, space lets us, uh, spice lets us go to space. Spice, uh, you know, has some certain, you know, health. Spice uh, is like CBD. It's like, it's right. like the wonder drug. It does everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, the, the thing that I think is the most critically important, um, they never explain to you the, the uh, you know, every, every, Every profession, it seems, in the Dune universe has a special school and a culture around that school. So, like, they don't spend any time talking about the Bene Gesserits, right? You know, talking about, you know, this this uh, cult of, uh, of, uh, of women who are manipulating genetic bloodlines. They talk a little bit about it, but they don't really talk about what's going on within the sisterhood. And where it's particularly pointed that this is a failure in storytelling is around Dr. Yui, because Dr. Yui is a Sook doctor, and Sook doctors are trained so that they can never do harm. You know, it goes beyond Hippocratic Oath. It goes to, it is physically impossible because of their their uh, conditioning to hurt their own patient. And that's why they are so uh, uh, highly sought in the royal houses so that they, they are a trusted member. In fact, Dr. Yui in the Atreides family is almost family, right? Because he is that trusted. And so his betrayal of uh, Duke Atreides is that much more poignant, Right. Because it should be impossible. There's never been a recorded breach of someone breaking the conditioning. None of that's talked about in the film. And I understand film different than a book, but they don't do anything to talk about all of the, the just very different culture of the Dune universe from what we what we know. And I, I feel like, I mean, I'm watching the movie, and of course I know all this stuff because I've read the book a dozen times, and I've watched the, 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 the David Lynch movies many times. Um, I, it just, I, 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 I wonder how lost people are seeing this movie. Well, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I have seen Dune. I have seen the TV miniseries Dune, which I, yeah. I got to be honest, I, I feel like I'm one of the few people who actually acknowledges that thing exists. I like that much, thing. Much I wish you, liked it. I wish right. you could get it streaming or on Blu-ray. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I am not I have not read the book. I'm not intimately familiar with the Dune universe. I am just, you know, I'm, I'm on the surface. Like right. I, you know, I, I, I know Dune like I know. Uh, I don't know, Harry Potter or like I know, uh, actually, I probably know Harry Potter more, but like I wouldn't know like a property that, you know, like I've seen the movie, but I, I don't know right. all the shit. Right. Um, and so, you know, watching this movie, it, it, it's funny because it occurred to me about halfway through because of the first hour or so was very exposition heavy. Uh-huh. And uh, it occurred to me in the after about like like you said it's about two two forty five. Uh-huh. This movie has both too much story and not enough. Yeah. Um, and it, it's weird. It's it's like they focused on the wrong things, mm-hmm. and they didn't focus on things that would have. And in other aspects, it felt like they were preaching to the choir, like oh you know this already. Right. And I didn't. Um, and then on top of it, you know, going back to our earlier commentary. It ends without any sense of climax or satisfying resolution. 
And you know, you you know, you 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 know, when it says Dune Part One going in, right? You know, I, I think there's an expectation like, oh yeah, it's it's like, you know, you knew there, you know, there's going to be a second one, and they don't. And so the 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 fact that the movie essentially ends in the middle of the story where there's not, you know, there, it, it is not, it is not a movie. Yeah. I think I'll just say that it yeah, is not yeah. a movie. It is the first part of a mini series. Uh-huh. Um, it is not a movie that the, the gigantic climax or the, the big moment of the movie happens about hour 45 in, uh-huh. which is, you know, the betrayal of the doctor. And then it's the sole action sequence in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, then it just kind of trails off and then just roll credits like there. You know, it, it, it is essentially as if you had ended Star Wars after they rescued Princess Leia from the Death Star. Yeah. And that's where they rolled credits. And you're like, well, shit, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. But like Darth Vader's still out there. They're still the Death Star. Like they didn't do anything. They just kind of like save the princess. And there's there's like a lot of stuff to go. Yeah. That is essentially what Dune did, except it took two hours and 45 minutes to do it. Yeah, yeah, I really thought the first time I watched Star Wars that the movie was over at that point. <laughs> yeah, but, but if it had, you would have been like, hold on. Like, this, that was half a movie. Like, right, that, that right. not over. Like, okay, you killed you killed Obi-Wan Kenobi, or in this case, you killed Oscar Isaac. You killed, you know, um, yeah. Atreides, fa- Paul's father. Yeah. And then, like, that's, 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 that's Duke Leto, Paul. Duke Leto, sorry. Um, and then, you know, like, if it, it, that's what it, it felt like. And it's like, oh, okay, um, huh. But yeah, yes. to your point about, you know, world building and things like that, you know, I mean, I, I don't need everything spelled out to me. It felt like in this situation, they spelled a lot out to me in yeah. in heavy exposition uh, moments, and I still didn't quite understand. Yeah. Um, and this is, again, as someone who's already seen this story twice, mm-hmm. I still didn't quite understand how it all connected. I still didn't quite understand why the Harkonnens yeah. um, left the planet in the first place. I still didn't quite understand yeah, well, what they were going for, like, and like you know, you know with, with the Atreides taking over. You're helped with that in the David Lynch film because you actually get to sit in – uh, with the emperor, right? You know, because there's there's all this plotting going on about the Atreides, um, because the Atreides, you know, they're they're uh, rising in favor. You know, Duke Leto is is charismatic amongst the the great houses, and so you know the emperor is worried about his own power for fear that you know the the, the royal houses will you know unseat him and put uh, Leto in, and so you know he he wants him taken care of. The Spacing Guild wants his son killed. Um, but you know, you see that there is a whole conversation that you get to see about, uh, between a guild navigator and the emperor in the David Lynch film that occurs in the novel. There's none of that here. In fact, you never see the emperor. You just, you, the only no. bad guys you see in this thing are the Har- Harkonnens. And one of the things I find really amusing is that, you know, you, you always see the Baron with just him and Dave Bautista. And, uh, you know, just a couple of people around him, you never get a sense that he, you know, is ruling an entire planet. He just seems like a guy off in a room. And and I was always amused by that because I'm like, you know, this guy is is so greedy, so, uh, you know, just consuming all the resources. He would have tons of people waiting on him. Um, I, I just I was so frustrated with. Uh, the way they were telling the story and how they were narrowing focus, it was almost like they wanted to have it be a Paul's point of view movie, 
but then they it had was. to. They, well, but you know, then they then they you're, you're like, okay, I can accept this if it, if we just know what Paul knows. But then they cut to Geedy Prime with the Baron. I'm like, well, yeah, come fair. on, you can't do it both ways. You know, yeah. it would make it w- the way they shot this movie. It would have made more sense if it was straight up Paul POV, right? And and I think yeah. that might have that might have done more to make you feel more about these characters. Um, I. I it blows my mind to your original point, Paul, that this thing got greenlit, that this thing went yeah. to production and they spent as much money on this as they did because it is a gorgeous film. Yeah, and, it is a gorgeous film, but it is, for lack of a better say, a way of saying it, it's a bore. Yeah. And, you know, that that's something that I've always kind of felt about Dune, and I know that's sacrilege to – and, you know, thankfully to Andrew's me. not on the podcast. To me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, one of the things that has never connected with me about Dune is that, at least in the portrayals, it's always portrayed as very soulless, very – at least the initial – you know, story. Well, it's a very you know, dystopic future, very, right? Yeah, very I mean, dystopic, very formal, it, very it, you know. There's well, not and, a lot of. And ahead. one of the one of the key underpinnings of the the Dune universe is that power didn't give a fuck about you, right? Yeah. I mean, because even the Atreides, you know, they are making decisions that impact people, and they, I mean, and these are the heroes of the book. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they yeah. don't care. I mean, this is very much about power. Didn't give a fuck about you. Power cares about power. And, and I get that. Yeah, um, but you know, it feels like in this film they were trying to. Yeah, they were, they were trying, trying to. Yeah, I, I, they, I'm sorry, I don't mean to talk over you, Paul. Uh, the they were trying to uh, turn the to re-emphasize the narrative because Frank Herbert's yeah. novel is very much about don't trust the desert messiah, don't trust that guy. He's not yeah. your friend. He thinks he's your friend. He is not your friend. And this movie, you know, particularly that whole white savior narrative, um, is does its best to turn that on its head. And so a lot of the questioning that in the novel Paul does towards the end of the story, young Paul is doing early on in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 and I, you know, I, I think that pl- that will play real well during our current cultural moment, but in terms of storytelling, it doesn't provide Paul much of an arc there. And I think that's, that is one and you know that kind of goes back to my initial point, and maybe you know this brings it full circle. There is no narrative arc of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. basically there is set up. You know, it, it, you know, in the way that the story's told, it basically feels like the Atreides take over the mining colony, fuck it up for a day, <laughs> and then it blow, and then that night it's all blown up. And I know that's not what actually happens, but it basically feels like it all happens within the span of a few days. Oh yeah, I mean the, and, the, the minute the storytelling they, is the minute they get on Arrakis. You know, you're you're off to the races, and I'm yeah. I'm highly amused because you know Duncan Idaho, the character played by Jason Momoa, mm-hmm. while he shows up in further books down the line, spoilers, um, he is a fairly minor character. He's important to Paul, but he's a yeah. fairly minor character in the novel. And I'm like, man, I can't believe they got Jason Momoa to play such a small role. Well, what they did was they beefed up the role and extended his lifespan out <laughs> in the movie, yeah. which kind of cracked me up. I'm like, okay, well, he was supposed to die here. Uh, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess maybe we're going to kill him a little later. <laughs> I, yeah. Again, I, I didn't hate the movie. I just yeah. was like, I can't believe anybody greenlit this. And on on the one hand, I'm glad they did, but on the other hand, I don't think we're ever going to get the part two. 
Yeah, I feel like if they were smart, they would have just done it as an HBO Max series, invested in 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 both halves. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, and maybe you know, pull back the budget a little bit so that you can invest in both halves. But and I understand that that was Dennis Villanueva's version, the vision. Like he wanted right. to do both at the same time, and Warner Brothers was like, "No, let's see how the first one did yeah. does." But then they didn't have the wherewithal to say, but you still need to make a complete movie. Right. Uh, you, st- right. you still need to have something that makes people want to come back for more. Cause there's a difference between wanting to come back for more and ending your story in the middle. And I honestly think, I, I think what they should have done, cause I was, I was coming at this like, you know, it's really too bad that he told the story the way he did. Um, the huge mm-hmm. loss in the movie is the death of Leto. And even though you get more time with Leto, you don't know him well enough for it to break your heart, right? No. And that's what it's that's what it needs to do because it is such a shift for the audience as well as the characters that we've been following, you know, Paul and Jessica. I think that part of that time should have been spent in us getting to know Duke Leto and understanding the deep love and adoration he has for his lady, Jessica. Um, you don't get any of that in this movie. In fact, in the 1984 film by David Lynch, you you get a sense of how much those two people adore each other. Yeah, in this one, they really only have like one scene together. They're, and it's it's the scene right before he's murdered, right? Yeah. Where he where where he's like, I really should have married you. And he, you know, he allows, you know, she's trying to give him a, a sleeping pill. And he's like, no, no, let's let's go to sleep another way. And so she she cuddles with him. Right. Um mm-hmm. That was the only tenderness you see between the two of them, and they deeply love each other in the novel. Um, I think that, that I think the absence of that makes his death a little less meaningful in the movie. And you know, the mo- Dune is a story that really struggles with heart. Um, yeah. Because you know you're you're telling such you know big ar- archetypical types of stories, you need to have that human connection. And uh, Lido and Jessica are your human connection, and th- they missed that in this film. And it's a yeah. big mistake. Yeah, I agree. I think they missed the humanity in this film entirely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. You know, again, while well, much to Aaron's point, I didn't dislike the movie. I just. I am. I found it frustrating. Yeah, um, I, I've already watched it a second time. You know, I, I I I did enjoy it. I just can't imagine going into the movie not having read the novel. Yeah. So yeah. So I I find it hard to recommend. I think, like I said, yeah. it's preaching to the choir. If you are a fan of the property, yeah. Um, you will you will enjoy it because you'll know where the story goes. If you're not a fan of the property, and and you know, and what I mean by and when I say I don't feel like it's going to be greenlit. You know, it feels like every movie that has come out in theaters lately has ruled social media for the the, the, the weekend in which it was released, right? Whether it right. was Halloween Kills or Shang-Chi or No Time to Die, everyone's talking about it on social media because people are so desperate for new right. entertainment that they're talking about it. No one's talking about Dune. Well, and you I know, feel like that's indicative of the fact that people aren't excited about this. Movie. I think that depends on your social media, Paul, because that's all that's on my social media. That, that's my point, though. Preaching to the choir. Right. Like, you know, it, it's not it, 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 the Dune audience is not going to make this movie a billion dollars. It's not going to make this movie yeah. two hundred million dollars. It the, needs a new audience. The 
the reviews I've seen, and I know that's not social media, but the reviews I've seen have all been very, very positive. Um, and what amuses me about them is that they all have the, the same thing in common. It was great seeing a great big movie at the at the movie theaters. You know that because mm-hmm. it is epic in scope. It's Lawrence of Arabia for Christ's sake, right? Um, I get that, but that's not telling that that is not communicating the 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 value, the uh, worth of this movie. And I'm sorry, it's just it's just not there. It's just not yeah. there. Yeah, so. I got a buddy that's a big Dune fan that is uh, today actually driving all the way across state to go see it at an Alamo Draft House. Yeah, to make sure he sees it in a good experience. But I I threw it on in the background last night and just could not get interested in it because I'm not a Dune fan. I don't like fantasy mixed with my sci-fi, and I don't care for the books because of the writing style. I think there's some good concepts, but this movie, really, you need to have that base to get into it, I think. Why do you call it fantasy? I think there's too many fantasy aspects to it. I don't really look at it as sci-fi. The spice itself is all fantasy, seeing across the universe – uh, traveling without computers, but it's it's, just, it's a drug. It's a drug. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like <laughs> sci-fi. <laughs> I just like challenge your system in science fiction. I guess the well, book is classified as science fiction fantasy. And f- you know, when you look out there and read it, even reading the Wikipedia well, article, that, they describe it as fantasy. I I, I just disagree with that cl- clar- classification. It is sci-fi in that it imagines technology in a future state and how that would impact uh, uh, life. I mean, I, I consider Star Wars science fantasy because there's really no science. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In that, Star Wars is Star Wars is the one science fiction fantasy that I do enjoy. Uh, but there's no magic in this. It's it's psionics. It's uh, uh, genetic manipulation. You know, breeding people to to fill certain functions because you're not using artificial intelligence or you know computers that kind of thing. Um, so I, I I just disagree with that clarification. Classification. And I'd like to point <laughs> out that that Frank Herbert never called it uh, science fiction fantasy. No, but he also wrote a really dry book that's just not interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, to, to you, it is it it, it is a, uh, a a long time bestseller over over the decades. Well, you know what else isn't interesting? <laughs> this is Paul moving us out of this conversation. It is. Uh, you know, so this year is Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary. We discussed it a little bit uh, about DC Fandom. They announced Trial of the Amazons, the upcoming Wonder Woman. Uh, just uh, let me let me let me make sure you guys know this isn't going to be the negative podcast. We're going to get into positive things here in a minute. Um, <laughs> You know, but Trial of the Amazons is the upcoming big Wonder Woman crossover featuring Hippolyta. You know, it's the new Wonder Woman, Nubia, who is the new queen of the Amazons, and, you know, the return of uh, Diana herself. And so Aaron and I gave Nubia and the Amazons a shot this week. Uh, you know, it's kind of this – it's a six-issue uh, arc leading up to the story written by Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala, art by Aletha Martinez. And now I'm not familiar with any of these um, – creative folks uh, in, that, that did this book, but I was interested in, in you know, hey, tell me the story of Nubia. I'm not as familiar with the character. Um, I gotta tell you, Aaron. Oof. Yeah, no, it was this a rough book read. sucked. Yeah, I, I, I didn't make it all the way through. I, I almost I, felt like this. I wasn't even reading a DC book. I'm like, yeah. the quality of this book feels like like an ind- like an indie book, and not not to disparage indie books because I like them too. But like it, it didn't feel like this was coming out of one of the big two. It was yeah. just the art was bad, the storytelling was bad, everything about this book felt amateurish. It felt like I, I, I honestly I felt like it, it felt like trash to me. 
Um, yeah. I, I really did. I was like, God, this is terrible. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, and the the concept that these women come out of the well of souls to be born into uh, uh, the the Amazon culture there on Themyscira, um, I, that was certainly an interesting idea. You know, that these are women who've been brutalized, you know, died violently at the hands of a man kind of thing. I thought that was an interesting uh, element, but man, they just didn't do anything with it. And Paul, I got I got uh, 12 pages into this book and I'm like, done. I finished I, it. I finished the book because I'm like, OK, I want to. I mean, let me, let me, I don't want to see where the story goes. But I'm like, I bought this freaking book. We're going to talk about it. Let me finish it. <laughs> um, and I I did not care for anything in this book. And it's a six-issue miniseries. Yeah. And, wow. Yeah, hard out. I, I am hard, hard out after yeah. issue one. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very disappointing. It, it, it was, for me... It was. Uh, I was hopeful it would sell me on the character of Nubia. Not that you know, not that I needed selling, but I'm just not familiar with her character the same yeah. way I am with Hippolyta or Diana. So I'm like, okay, tell me her story. I'm interested. Yeah. I, I'm I'm excited about this trial of the Amazons thing. This actually hurt my excitement for yeah. that event. Uh, I don't know who the creative team behind that event is, but hopefully it's not this creative team. Yeah, it, I, I did not care for it one little bit. No. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who will. It wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, but what I did enjoy was Superman, Son of Kal-El, um, you know, which there's not terribly much to talk about in reference to this book that we haven't already discussed before. And Wayne, did you read Son of Kal-El this week? Yes. But I, something struck me as odd. And I like Tom Taylor. I, I didn't love the, the, the fill-in artist um, on the book. But it, one thing that struck me as odd is... So at the end of issue three, the Kent farm is destroyed. Well, you know, that, that's the big cliffhanger. Spoilers on. It's true. <laughs> the Kent farm is destroyed. And what struck me as odd was just how cool with it Jonathan and Martha were. Like, huh. you know, the Flash and Green Lantern are like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Kent, I can't imagine what you lost. And the Kents are all smiles. They're like, we're fine. Don't worry about us. We have our lives. The animals are okay. We moved a lot into storage just in case something like this can happen. House can be rebuilt. We're just going to go stay with some neighbors. See, that was the part that made me okay with them being okay with it. Because I took it as a, they were consigned to the fact it was going to be destroyed the moment Clark revealed his identity. Yeah, I get, but like, it felt like... It felt like it should have had – I mean, this is the Kent farm. It felt like it should have had a little bit more impact. You know, like maybe a couple of tears or maybe, you know, maybe they should have driven off. If they had driven off and we had seen, you know, them crying in the car or comforting each other, you know, they were just putting on a cool face for everyone, that would have felt more real to me. Um, they were just like, no, nah, it's all good. We're going to go stay at a friend's house. Catch you guys later. Like we'll we'll have when we rebuild we'll have we'll we'll try dinner again like that was basically the scene and I'm like huh okay like I mean I get that the Kents are cool people they're pretty chill <laughs> but like are they robots right now well, that's what it made me feel like are they robots maybe it's because you know their their crop has been uh, marijuana <laughs> and they're that's maybe. why they're so super chill. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the Kents are, are taking the smoking and, the wacky tobacco. And you know they're gonna do like the old Superboy comic. They're gonna you know now move into Smallville, into the town proper, and open up a store, but it'll be a CBD shop, you know, <laughs> a dispensary, a dispensary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now we know what they're growing on the farm. Yeah. 
you know, I have to say, I don't want to like this book. And I don't want to like it because I, I hated the future state stuff. And this book is moving us towards future state, just like the yeah. Batman books are. And I hated Jonathan Kent in future state, the, you know, the way that they were portraying him. I don't really care for how they're portraying Jonathan Kent with his, you know, I think he's kind of overreaching. But when I sit down and actually read the books, I love it. The writing is so incredible. The dialogue is point on. I love the scene between him and Wally where yeah. Wally, you know, reveals his identity and says, you know, he knows what it's like to step into the the costume of your hero. Yeah, I thought that was a great scene. That, there's that moment so definitely much, struck true. Yeah, there's so much incredible in the book. And I knew that he would save them because they basically set it up the previous issue with how quickly he got everyone out of the building in uh, that was collapsing just mm-hmm. in a matter of seconds. So I was expecting, okay, he's going to get everyone out in those few seconds while it's being destroyed. But I don't know, like I said, I don't want to like this book, but I love it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I do. I do wish they had a different character design for President Bendix. Um, you know, President Bendix is basically Jonathan Kent's Lex Luthor. They're setting up that he's going to be his Lex Luthor. They have a very Lex Luthor Superman moment in this book where Jonathan's hovering outside of his window. You know, they have a you know a tense conversation that's you know filled with with you know just. You know, th- them, there's not a fight, but it's like a, you know, just this tense conversation and um, filled with subtext. That's what I was going with. Um, but he, he's bald and he's wearing a purple and green suit. And I'm like, could, I mean, it would have been nice to mix it up a little bit instead of like a carbon copy of Lex Luthor. Maybe he's a clone. Maybe they're all clones <laughs> in this book. Um, but you know, I still I, think he's actually Brian Michael Bendis in disguise. He might be. Maybe. And it's a dig at Bendis. I, I think it is, right? I mean, I get that. Um, but it, I, I, to your point, there is a lot to like about this book. I, I love the character of Jonathan Kent. Um, some great, you know, while I had some, some questionable concerns about the Kents themselves. Um, I, I'm enjoying the, I did enjoy the interaction with the Justice League. I enjoyed that, like, the second that farm got destroyed, the entire Justice League was there, because they're like, like, this is this is a protected Justice League, you know, um, location. It didn't help, but <laughs> it still got blowed up. Um, but they were they, they were there moments later. Um, but it, 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 it is a, a very well done book, and I'm, I'm looking forward, you know, next issue is the big issue. Um, you know, between Jonathan and Jay, uh, oh, who, well, I, I won't spoil what, what, you know, the, the revelations about Jay in this issue, um, because, uh, Aaron has not read it yet. So, uh, but looking forward to, to seeing how issue five, uh, you know, kind of addresses it. You know, minor thing I was excited about seeing, uh, Wink and, uh, Ari. Yeah. I don't know who those characters are. Are those real, are those previously established characters? So those characters were in the, uh, uh, one of the deceased books. Oh, okay. And there was the only place I'd ever seen them, and I really liked them there and knew nothing about them. And that's also so I, a Tom Taylor story, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I was oh. so excited to see them show up here. You know, speaking of deceased, before we move on to Marvel books, one of the things that I wanted to mention is I am quite excited about DC versus Vampires. Um, written by James Tynion IV and Matthew Rosenberg, art by Otto Schmidt. It seems odd that it's starting like the week of Halloween, but I guess there's, you know, it's 12 issues. It'll go from this Halloween to next Halloween. But that preview cover, it's pretty hot. It's pretty yeah. hot. Yeah. I, in that, if that book comes out next week, I guarantee I'll be purchasing that. 
So, Aaron. Yes, sir. We can talk about Thor. (laughs) We're going to talk about Thor, but before we talk about Thor issue 18, I do want to talk about, you know, Thor's issue 15, 16, 17, because we didn't mm-hmm. really, we haven't talked about Thor in, in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we're, you know, we don't need to go into significant detail, but in, the, in those issues, Thor, I mean, I, I'm just going to be blunt. Not much happens in those issues other than Thor giving up the hammer and then it getting stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has uh, lots of family moments with um, Freya and Odin and Angela. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the appearance of Angela, uh, you know, <sighs> How do you feel about the character I hate being her. in the Marvel universe? <laughs> um, you know, but the appearance of Angela put me in the mindset of, you know, what would be great? I would like to go back and read those original Angela comics, um, you know, from Neil Gaiman and Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo, you know, that were published in the uh, mid to late 90s from Image Comics. Did you know that those are not available digitally at all? Oh, really? No, I did not. And know. and they are out of print because, you know, McFarlane isn't publishing them because Neil Gaiman took the rights with them. And now it's a Marvel right. character. So even the Angela issue of Spawn is not in the trade paperback. Interesting. At least last I heard. Wow. So those books are basically like, like you know, this character pops up and you can't go back. I mean, you can only go back as far as Marvel's been publishing the books. Right. Like, you know, you, you can't get that first issue of Angela in a self in a trade paperback anymore. You can't get, you know, that that, that original story arc from Image Comics um, digitally or I mean, you can get it in printed, but it's probably at a premium because it's not in print right. anymore. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because when you look at Spawn, this is a book that's all about creator rights. And he kept bringing in characters that other creators created mm-hmm. and has had to retcon them out. Right. Even the person that killed Spawn had to be changed because he didn't have the rights to the character anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's kind of a problem if you're a long-term reader of a book. Yeah. To have moments of the book suddenly have to be retconned because you don't own the rights. Or to not be able to get all of the issues of a series you enjoy because the creator doesn't have the rights to characters in it anymore. Well, Let me take that back. I think the issue of Spawn is issue nine. I do see Spawn number nine. The soul, but um, available digitally. That that was the first appearance of Angela. So you know, maybe they figured something out there. But the actual Angela series has not been um, released digitally. Well, I appreciate you bringing that to my attention, Paul, because uh, I have never been interested enough to seek out Angela's origins or prior adventures because I hate the character. I just, <laughs> I just really can't stand her. And my only experience with her is in the Marvel books. And boy, I, I just hate her a lot. Yeah. See, I'm on the other side of the fence of I loved her in Spawn, mm-hmm. but she doesn't fit in Marvel in any way. Yeah. And I hate the character yeah. in Marvel. I, I, you know, it just felt to me, again, having no prior experience with her when they introduced her into the Marvel books, it just felt like, hey, look, celebrity, celebrity, look at her. She's famous, yeah. you know, and I'm like, why? I mean, I, other than that, they, they brought no real character to her. And I tried reading a couple of the books, and I, you know, there, she even had a, uh, a spinoff uh, miniseries that I that I read the first issue of. I'm like, well, I just hate her everywhere she is. I don't like this character at all. <laughs> but you know who we don't hate? Throg? Throg. Frog of <laughs> <Yeah>. Uh <laughs> In this issue of Thor, Thor decides that he needs a master of spies. 
and you know he seeks out Loki to fill fill that role, and Loki's like, no, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. But the, he strikes on the big idea that maybe Throg is the guy, and you know the the issue is is that uh, Thor uh, Thor's hammer Mjolnir has been stolen, and uh, we need to find out you know where it is and uh, who did it. And so I I, I am, have been up and down this book a couple of times now because I don't understand one panel in particular, and I'm hoping y'all can help me out with that. You know maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm having a stroke or something. But on page eleven of this book. Mm-hmm. Thor appears in the swamp with Throg, and Thor has Mjolnir in his hand. Yeah, I had that same oh. issue. And I'm like, okay, I, is this just an error in the book? Or, I mean, he doesn't have the hammer with him anywhere else. And I'm like, well, maybe somehow he wound up with Throg's hammer, but of course Throg's hammer would be very small. Um, and well, we, and Thor is small in this, you know. Like, he but, has shrunk down to froggy size. But Throg's hammer is with Throg, because we see the, the, the scene where, where he appears. I just, I don't understand that page. I think it's just bad editing. Like, I, I think it is an actual error. Yeah, I expected when I saw it that he was going to explain he had a fake hammer so people didn't know his hammer <laughs> yeah. was stolen. Yeah. But they don't ever say anything about it. And throughout the rest of the book, he doesn't have it. Yeah. No, I, I had that exact same issue. I, I it, it it was enough that I I mean I was like what am I misunderstanding here just completely you know it's funny it didn't ping on me until you said something and I'm like oh yeah no it's it's an error I would say okay because man I I was like did I, did I did I skip over something and so I mean I, I literally read this thing twice and then kept going back and forth to images like what am I missing you know oh, oh very weird very yeah. weird it stood out to me too okay. Well, other than that, I love this book. I, I love Throg uh, assembling his team. You know, you've got Hugin and Munin, Odin's uh, ravens. You've got Lockjaw. You've got uh, uh, bats. Lockheed. Uh, yeah, Lock. Oh. Yeah, and Lockheed. Yeah. You've got Lockjaw okay, and yeah. Lockheed. Okay, mm-hmm. I thought you were correcting me. Yeah. I mean, it's, I love the team up. I can't wait to see where it goes. This is just a lot of, lot of fun. Just a lot I, of fun. I have to say, it's so adorable, the picture of uh, you just have the little frog hand holding the hammer, knocking mm-hmm. on Doctor Strange's door. <laughs> yeah. It's just well, adorable. It's like, and I'm not here for you. Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I thought that the last half of this book was perfect. Especially, uh-huh. you know, I love Throg's... Um, dialogue in this book because at the end you know thor's like okay you know go assemble your team and throg's like oh man i assembled them four days ago and you know <laughs> well, like, throg is much smarter than thor that's one of the things i love about the character yeah. is that the little frog guy smarter than the, than the thunder god yeah and he's like though we may be spies when we are joined you will know us as avengers yeah and I just thought that was awesome. Yeah. Like just a, that was just like just such a great ending sequence yeah. to the book. Um, and I so, want a poster of that. Yeah, it is. That page. It's a great so page. much fun. Yeah, you know, I, I did not care for the three prior issues to this. Um, there were good elements. Mm-hmm. You know, one overall, of my big complaints on the three prior issues, hmm. it made Thor out to be weak. Yeah, like yeah. you you look at the fights, and both Thor and Odin are. Like nothing compared to Angela and uh, and his mother, right? And I don't like that. I don't. You've we've seen this book, this series up till now, showing Thor is at the strongest he has ever been, and then he's just him and Odin are both weak mm-hmm. and seemingly useless in battle compared to Angela and his mother. Yeah. 
And he used to be the mighty Thor. I mean, you know, Thor used to be the strongest guy in the Marvel Universe. And he just seems to be more and more diminished, even though he carries the Odin power now. I don't get it. I don't get it. And, I, you know, on the one hand, I am super tired of, of Thor and his hammer issues. I mean, we, 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 Jason Aaron was telling the story, right? Yeah. The whole unworthy thing. Um, and to, to find us back in this mode of the hammer still has issues, uh, is, is, is tiresome, but I sure do enjoy Throg. Yeah. You know, so, and, you know, I do enjoy the depiction of Odin and Odin should be depowered because he gave up his Odin power, right? I love the depiction of Odin in the prior books as, as sort of a biker guy. That tickles me. I just don't understand why Thor is is depicted as being so powerless. Yeah, I I don't mind Odin being that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And that's the thing is I don't mind Odin being depowered, but he should still be effective. Correct. Because yeah. he was a warrior. He has you know yeah. and millennia of he experience. Did, yeah, he didn't give up his wisdom, right? He didn't give up, you know, his strategic thinking. He gave up the, the mantle of being king. Um, and, and I just, <laughs> it bugs me. But I do like the, the depiction of him as a biker. That, I, I, I think, is almost pitch perfect. Yeah. But, you know, so, I tell you, I, I, you know, while Throg carried the book, I mean, just adored that. You know, there, there are certainly some problematic elements in, in the current run of Thor. But let me tell you a book that's just been pitch perfect, a book that is is terrific month over month. It is the ongoing story of the Fantastic Four as told by Dan Slott. Uh, I, I love this book. Yeah, this book hit me in the feels multiple times oh, yeah. throughout the course. Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's got great story elements, you know, uh, between Johnny Storm uh, continuing to deal with the fallout of him messing around on on his soulmate. Uh, but, you know, the, the core of this book, I mean, used to the heart and soul of the Fantastic Four was Reed and Sue and them raising their kids. And I love that it's really a different Fantastic Four in some respects because there's another foursome. Uh, the the marriage of uh, Ben and Alicia and their two uh, adopted children uh, that has come up in this in this story arc from Dan Slott. It's another fan. This this four is also fantastic, yeah. and I, I I love it. I love it. Well, I love it. I and love there's it. so much juxtaposition. You have these two as they have their plan for Halloween, where they get mm-hmm. all the adults to take them. With different costumes. Right. So they can get candy from the same people like 12 times. Right. And it's so cute and adorable. And then you see him go slaughtering the people that come after him. Uh Uh-huh. And I love just that sweet and innocent and then vicious streak. And dealing with the repercussions of that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there there is a terrific moment between Ben and... uh, his, his son, in which, you know, the son has been calling him commander and acting like, you know, he is his the senior officer because he's a Cree and he was raised, you know, in a, in a martial society. Um, and so he has been regarding, you know, uh, Ben as his commanding officer. And, and Ben's like, no, no, I'm your dad, you know, and you're my son. And I mean, it's just a great moment, just a great yeah. moment. And I well, got to tell you, I, you know, I, the... The darkening of Alicia 
yeah. is wonderful. <laughs> the the story of her manipulating uh, people with her her magic clay, uh, you know, much like her father, the puppet master. But when her father even jumps in and says, you're about to do something even I wouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, I love it. I love it. Nothing wrong with this book. We even see emotion out of Reed. Yeah. There is that intense moment where he's dealing with the fact that his father had a family that he kept secret from them. And he's asking the question of, uh, why weren't we enough for him? Yeah. And you just, it's that heartbreaking moment. And you see that he's not, really even working on curing Johnny because he's emotionally distraught. And as for Johnny, I've always loved the Spider-Man Johnny friendship. Same. Same. And their conversations where he's Spider-Man's just like, well, at least you got Sky. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I kind of dorked around on her with uh, Dr. Doom's girl. Yeah, yeah. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. I I love the book. It's just terrific. It's just terrific. Can't wait for next issue. uh, She-Hulk showing up. Yeah. Particularly for a legal issue. Looks like it's going to be fun. So a book that we meant to talk about when the first issue came out, and I forget why we didn't, but uh, issue two of Gun Honey came out this week. And I got to tell you, I uh, I very much enjoyed issue one. Uh, it it the, the the book is very very noirish, very pulpy. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the setup of the main character here is that she's not an assassin. She's not a killer. What she does is she gets weapons into places. Yeah, she's a gun runner, right? Yeah, uh, and you know, a really good gun runner. She can get she can get you a weapon you know, wherever you need it. For instance, in this book, she gets a gun into the prison so that, uh, you know, the guy can be taken out. Uh, You know, but she she's not the one who's pulling the trigger. So she, you know, has sort of built an emotional wall where she doesn't feel guilt about these things. Um, The book is by uh, uh, Charles Ardai with art by Ang Hor Kang. And uh, there are times where the art seems a little rough to me, but on the whole, I love the artwork in these books. Uh, in fact, there are some very Gene Colon esque uh, panels that I just really, uh, I find intriguing. He does a lot with uh, light and dark and, and works with these, you know, the negative space in the background. I just really deeply appreciate it. There uh, was uh, one panel this week though. I tell you a what, full page spread. You know, it is. I mean, the the covers tell you that that it is a uh, a sexy sort of book, right? Um, and we get to a page where you know uh, uh, our main character, Gun Honey, has uh, picked up a, a a girl in a bar, and I mean, did you read it in Guided View? Yeah. Okay, so in Guided View, it starts off, there's a panel where the two of them are topless kissing, and you don't see anything on that other than you you know that both of these women are naked. And then you scroll to the next page, and I thought this was a panel, right, when it it scrolled to the next page, because you just see, you know, an uplifted thigh and, and the back of a woman's head in the, you know, down there region. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fairly tasteful. And then it zooms out, and it's a full page, and not quite so tasteful. Yeah. It's like I said, it's a full page spread, yeah. and and it's hot, sweaty sex. I mean, literally. And what what spread is her legs? Yeah, and and with lots of sweat. I mean, they are they are you know this this is a, is a, a quite the workout both of them are getting. 
I, uh, I, I was, uh, I, I might literally, when it, it went to the full page, I went, Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a, very, very graphic. And there are several full frontal, uh, you know, panels in the book, which is, you know, not what we saw in the previous book, but the, but the story is, is so enjoyable, you know, beyond the uh, gratuitousness of those pages. Um, it is, I, I really enjoy the, the gun running story of, of this woman and, you know, getting guns where they need to go. And obviously her, her, uh, justification of how and why she's able to do things. I'm enjoying the backstory they're giving us about her origins, how she got to be here, the horrible thing that happened to her family. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I love how she wasn't there when it happened, right? That her father's was saving both a picture of her mother mm-hmm. and her in one move. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. I, 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 I very much enjoy it. I'm eager to see where it goes and, and I'm, I'm in, uh, it's from Titan comics, by the way. And I'm, I, I rarely read anything from Titan, uh, not as a matter of choice, but just that, you know, they just haven't had a whole lot that, that, uh, gets my attention, but gun honey certainly did. And I, I, I gotta say, I really recommend this book. Yeah, same here. And I, it was just something about the cover caught my attention yeah. and the title. Yeah. And I really was surprised by the book I got, and I enjoy it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Hey, Paul. Uh, yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, from DC Comics, we already mentioned the DC vs. Vampires, issue one. Mm-hmm. Um, also from DC Comics, Task Force Z, uh, also from Matthew Rosenberg, who's the co-writer on DC vs. Um, Vampires. This features kind of undead characters being uh, resurrected to um, form a new task force. So you have characters recently deceased like Bane, Man Bat, the Arkham Knight. Um, it's kind of like task force zombies i don't know if it's a one shot or a series i'll I'll check out the preview pages um also from dc comics wonder girl issue four event finally um finally coming out that book has a very odd release schedule (laughs) um as well as batman the long halloween special uh so this is a new special from jeff loeb and tim sale um Hmm. kind of taking place in that batman long halloween universe that they established 25 years ago. Wow. Um, that'll make you feel old. Yeah. Uh, for Marvel Comics, you have Darkhold uh, Blade, issue one, an, another one shot in that Darkhold uh, story. <laughs> the newest issue of Amazon, or uh, Amazon, Amazing Spider Man. <laughs> and uh, from Image Comics, the first issue of The Magic Order, part two, from Mark Miller and Stuart Amonin this oh, time. I really enjoyed Magic Order. I will, uh, I'll read the first Magic Order in preparation for this. Now, I think the artist on the first one was Olivier Copiel, and yeah. Stuart Amonin is taking over art chores for the, Ooh. the sequel. Ooh, nice choice. Yeah, nice agreed. choice. Yeah, very good. Well, hey, we want to know what you thought about Dune. Uh, give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you could win the Spice Melange. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't count on it though you could win you could um yeah you could uh you can also hit us up on social media iom geek on facebook instagram or twitter what a deal well hey guys we'll do it all over again next week i don't know what movie's coming out next week to streaming but i'm sure we will watch it and dislike it as well <laughs> as well <laughs> catch you guys then bye podcast theme music graciously provided by mark andrew pope for more information visit markandrewpope.com funny books with aaron and polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com 
No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 